The Psalms, as you know, I'm sure, are poetic poems, songs, sung or spoken by the individual, by the community, to God. These ancient people had this sense, a profound sense, that uh, no matter what was going on of prayer of lament, like Psalm 13 is, no matter how bad things are, no matter how out of order the world is, no matter how much chaos is being faced, that God wanted to hear about it. And that if willing, God, God could and would do something about it. And this wonderful moment in Psalm 13, the psalmist just three times, four times says, I am in such distress, such, such pain, such frustration, such disorientation, and I haven't done anything to cause it. God, it's time to get, it's time to get going. And it's almost as if, it's not a blame, but it is a surrender that the psalmist does. It's almost, I think of it almost as if a trapezist is swinging from one trapeze to another. And the psalmist leaps into this expression of lament. It hurts. It's bad, God. And in that moment of surrendering, articulating, speaking out loud the trouble that the psalmist is in. In that moment, God meets with the other trapeze and something is lifted. In the moment of surrender of, I can't do this, God, you do it, there is relief, a freedom, a transformation that only comes when the poet is completely honest and completely trusts that God wants and will listen and respond. The reading today is taken from Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I bear pain in my soul? and have sorrow in my heart all day long. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of, the, of death. And my enemy will say, I have prevailed. My foes will rejoice because I am shaken. But I trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. Amen. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we pray that the words of this my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts here and online, that they may be found worthy and even joyful to you, you alone who are our God and our Redeemer. Amen.
November 2019. It's funny how we remember these dates. I retired 35 years as a pastor, 29 years in the pulpit. I retired, and so cocky was I. Oh, I was going to have no trouble with this retirement gig. I remember talking to a friend of mine a few years before. She was kind of sweating, you know, it, you know, she's a little older than me. She said, I don't know what I'm going to do when I'm retired. I had, I had no problem thinking about what I was going to do when I was retired. I was going to learn to sing a miracle. I was going to learn to speak French. I was going to Oh, knit and quilt, I'm a, I like to do that. I was going to wake up in the morning and not answer any telephones. I was going to turn my on-call button off. What liberty, what transcendent freedom. I was going to sleep for a year. I survived 35 years. I did it, and now I'm free. Well, I was free, all right. That was November 2019. Then we had Christmas, lots of things to do during Christmas. You know, there's events, church stuff, whatever. January, everybody's kind of, you know, dark in January. And then there's February, and we're all sort of paying attention to the world. And then there's, oh, March of 2020. Wow, things changed. Everything was disoriented. Everything was off kilter. And here I am retired. Free time. I've never lived with my husband full time, poor guy. That we are enclosed in an island of each other, full time. I can't go to yoga. The dog park is closed. They close the dog parks. And first, I can't meet my friends for coffee. I'm like stuck in the island of retirement. And what I didn't know at the time was that it was not a matter of what I was going to do when I was retired. It's not a matter of that. It was a matter of who I was going to be when I was retired. Because, you know, like many of us, I had work since I was 14, work, work, work to provide, to help keep myself, my family afloat. I had work to do school to go to, grad school, get through, first woman doing this, first woman doing that, you know. Oh. Okay, I was a worker. And not only was I a worker, I was a person called to a job of extraordinary privilege and meaning. I was a soul tender. It's a, it's a miracle to be a soul tender. You know, because you all tend souls in your own way. But it was my, like, full-time gig. I got to be there for people. I got to hear their struggles of faith. I got to hold them. I got to encourage communities. I got to, to, to lead. I knew who I was in November 2019. I knew what my purpose was and what my call was. And then things changed. They really changed. I found that all the handholds that I had for life, you know, who, what to do, how to get the two-year-old to 
new to work, uh, whatever, all of that stuff was gone. And not only that, the handholds that told me who I was going to be, I had had dreams. I wanted to go back home to live in the East Tennessee in the Smokies where I was raised. Those, I wanted to do that and I found it wasn't going to be possible. Probably most devastating, I came to realize finally that my two-year-old grandson by, my only grandson by blood, I have some others, but it's different when they're your own son's child. But that grandson who lived in Belgium wasn't going to be an everyday activity for me. That my desire to be a granny, a hands-on granny, it just wasn't going to happen. So who I had been and who I thought I was going to be, all of those things just went away. And I cannot to this day describe to you the sense of falling that I experienced. I couldn't have even said it then. I can hardly say it now. The sense of disorder, chaos, really, truly, disorientation. Who am I? How am I going to not be here? I remember my mother who, after burying all her family, um, she had helped nurse to death and uh, quit smoking after 30 years because she decided she wanted to give life, some had, give some, have some kind of life with me and her grandchildren. And uh, I remember I said to mom, how did you do it? And she said, I sat in front of the television for a year and said, get me out of this miry bog, God. She quoted Psalms for a year, giving voice to the pain and the disorientation she was in. Her words inspired me. And even though I was in this spiral of disorientation, I knew that this Diet Coke and the potato chips and all the things I was doing, rather than to feel it, that it wasn't going to work, that at some point I was going to have to face what was terrifying me and what I was so deeply sad about. And I can remember the turning point, too. It's funny how you remember these things. It was in October of 2021. And I was sitting in my sunroom with my friends. We were a book group. And uh, I had come back from Belgium and just, you know, kind of had really seen and known that Hands-on granny, I wasn't going to be. It's, too, it's a long way away. Can't make cookies after, you know, can't clean up for the mama, can't change a diaper 2,000 miles away. And my friends and I were talking about a book, you know, a book club, we had a purpose. And um, I remember saying to them, I am just, we were talking about empathy and expressing feelings, and I said, I am just really broken-hearted that I can't be with my baby, my grandson. And uh, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do with myself. I'm a mess. I'm scared. I'm sad. Every goal I set, an attempt to control and figure my way out of this retirement thing, it all is a mess. It's not the it doesn't help. And I let it rip. 
I'm not a person that does that very often. I'm the caregiver, not the care receiver. And uh, that moment of self-disclosure to my friends, what, I can only describe it as brave. I didn't mean to do it, I just did. And it was like jumping into something. And of course, I could only entrust them with my lament because I knew that they loved me. I had faith that they were there for me. I knew they were my friends. And beyond that, there was a part of me that never forgot and that always knew that God had my back or I just wouldn't have been able to jump like that. And I did. That moment of trapeze jump, the lament to reach out and to be held by something much stronger and better and more powerful and more capable than me, the love of my friends or the love of God, ultimately, right? That caught me. And from that day on, things changed. They didn't change quickly. Oh, you little baby steps. And, uh, but I found my feet on a path. The fear of who I had been and who I'd lost, the pain of what I had lost was not going to overwhelm me because I'd shared them, not only with my friends, but with my world, with my God. And somehow in the sharing, freedom came. That's a real freedom to know that you can fall into the net isn't it? It truly is. It transforms life. I was transformed. And you know, this moment happens to everyone. Every single person, like the psalmist, goes through times of disorientation, transition, loss. When you graduate from high school, when you go to college, I could go on and on. When you have a baby, when the children leave, when your husband dies, or, you know, sickness or any of that, we all know individually just exactly how it feels. And you can't control it. You want to, don't you? We all do. We want to make it right, but you can't. You got to live through it. And the only way to live through it is to feel it and share it. Lament. I'm so moved by the story of Tommy Dorsey. We sung his song earlier today, Precious Lord, Take My Hand. Do you know the backstory of Tommy Dorsey? He was a, a black poet. He wrote this poem, really, that he, his brother set to music in 1900. I mean, he wrote it in, uh, not 1900, 1930. And he, uh, Precious Lord, take my hand, lead me on, help me stand. I'm tired, I'm weak, I'm lone. We can sing that. Tommy Dorsey had just lost his daughter, his wife, and his infant daughter. Suddenly, all his family, he just lost them. And he goes to the piano and sings, utters his lament. I am tired, I am weak, I am lone. And in that uttering, you know, there's some trust. Take my hand, Lord. And that trust does take him up. That's why we have the hymn today. That's why we know his music. He filled hundreds of people, hundreds of congregations with hope just from his song and his story. So yes, we all know how that feels. We're grateful for these people. 
that are there for us and the God in our community is there for us individually, but you know, it is 4th of July weekend. And we do have a community that we live in. Every community, every nation goes through periods of disorientation, of chaos and of disorder. And I think I could be bold or not really bold to say we face one now as a nation. Terrible period of not knowing what's going to happen to an environment that's on the verge of a apocalypse, not knowing what our children are going to inherit, not knowing if the gay people down the block are really going to be safe in Illinois once they move. You know, you just don't know. Are black people going to be shot? Black boys going to be shot? Do I, do I have to really hear about another murder? And probably deepest of sorrows is extraordinary polarization that we live through as a nation right now. You know, a Democrat doesn't have the wrong beliefs, they're bad. And a Republican doesn't share uh, another point of view, they're uh, a danger. We're not in a disagreement, we're enemy camps. Moving to that fear of let's protect each other and make the camp a little stronger, and some political people know how to play on fear, don't they? Make those people more scared. Get them scared, because then they'll be ready to do what you tell them to do, to follow you. And we live in that now, right? If, we, if you don't think we do, just go to the newspaper. It'll help. You know that we do. It's the 4th of July weekend. How can we have hope for this nation, born out of the desire and urge for freedom? We do want everyone to have freedom, to be able to walk the streets in safety, to be able to grow up and breathe the air for our forests not to burn down. How do we face this moment of crisis? Well, I love that we are part of a community of faith, and I don't mean just here, because my faith wasn't formed by you, although it's getting formeder by you. My faith was formed as a child in my home, and my grandmother, and all the things that my church taught me, and that faith was formed by our ancestors, the psalmist, who had the courage to lament to God and to trust God with the disorder of their life. We have stand on some kind of stories of faith that when we forget, we have each other to remind each other. A friend of mine I met in coffee, for coffee during the week this week, she said, I am just so sad. But I, what I read and what I know about the world right now, all those things, I'm so sad. And you know, I felt heartened. Because she didn't say she was scared. She said she was sad. She was lamenting. She was giving speech to her sorrow. And knowing what the psalmist knew, that when we lament and speak together, something changes. Something is transformed, right? It changes. We're reminded that we're not in control of any of this. But we can have faith that if we can sing our sorrow, God will be there to hold us. And let me tell you, God is there to hold us. Nobody knows this better than black folks in this country. And the black poets and the black musicians, I, I just couldn't help it. It was a 
Fourth of July weekend, Star Spangled Banner, but I wanted to think of another national anthem, and that's the Black National Anthem that was written in 1900 by James Weldon Johnson. He wrote it as a uh, celebration of Lincoln's birthday. And he wrote it, and 500 black children sang it in Florida. 500 black segregated school children sang it. Now, James Weldon Johnson, an organizer for the NAACP in 1900, knew a thing or two about struggle. <laughs> uh, you know, Jim Crow was deeply on the rise of violence. To speak was an act of rebellion, is still for some people. But he wrote this song, and it is a joyful song. It's the black national anthem. That's how we know it. And it goes something like this, starting on now with his lament, stony the road we trod, bitter the chastening rod, felt in the days when hope unborn had died. Yet with a steady beat, have not our weary feet come to a place for which our fathers sighed? This kills me. Come to the place we have come over a way that which that a way that with tears has been waters watered. We have come treading our path through the blood of the slaughtered. This man knew something about suffering and lament, but he ends it in a different note. Sing a song full of the faith that our dark past has taught us. Sing a song full of hope that the present has brought us. And you know the refrain, lift every voice and sing. Let earth and heaven ring, ring with the harmonies of liberty. That's a voice that, that's a hymn that all of us can sing because it talks about what God can do. When we face what we're struggling with, speak it together and hold each other's hands and develop resilience. Right? And this church has just that. Amen.